Okay, so here we are. Acts chapter 1, 12 through 26 tonight. That, that's where we are. And I want to remind you where we left off, okay? We find the early church, or the followers of Jesus, we might say at this point, waiting, all right? That's a, that's a big part of what we're going to talk about tonight. They're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus has told them, you wait for the Spirit. And then Jesus left, right? We saw in verses 9 through 11, Jesus ascended back into heaven, and he gave them some final instructions. And the final instructions tell us what's going to happen in the book of Acts. It's the outline of Acts. It's the theme of Acts. It's what we're going to be talking about all along. The disciples recognized it as their mission, what they were to do. So Acts 1.8 says this. This is what Jesus instructed them. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So their mission was to wait to receive power from the Holy Spirit, right? In order to witness, simply talk about Jesus, what he did, who he is, how he was resurrected, to who? To everyone. Starting in Jerusalem, spreading out a little bit to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that's been the Christian mission ever since right here in this place. And Acts is the early church doing it. But for now, they had to wait. And we know on this side of history, they waited for about 40 days. 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension. We know that. Probably at this point, right, right here in time, what's going on in this passage, they had about 10 days left till Pentecost. We, we, we can piece that together. And so they've been waiting a little bit. They have a little more to go. They weren't exactly sure what was going on. Last week, we talked about these people in the early church were full of all kinds of emotions, just like we are when we're waiting for something for God to do. They were hopeful. They were excited. They were anxious. They had a bunch of questions. They were waiting for God to work. Tonight, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see as they waited, they weren't just sitting around doing nothing, okay? That's, that's going to be really important to what we're talking about tonight. They were actively waiting. They were productive. They were preparing their hearts for what God was going to do in their lives. So for us, here sitting in the room, we're, we're learning from God, from the early church, through the word. I want us to learn in principle how we can wait, we're not in the same position as the early church was. No one ever will be, okay? They were waiting for things to get going with the Holy Spirit coming. It was very unique. But for us, we wait on God all the time. Think of it this way. Whatever you're praying about, that's probably what you're waiting on God to do in your heart and life. Early on in, in, in my faith, I remember a time specifically where the waiting was really difficult, okay? I had determined I was working in the, in the business world here in Los Angeles. You know, we had been married a couple years. We had a, a child, and I, I felt the call of God to go into ministry full-time, and, and we did, both Lori and I, and so we started praying like, okay, God, we're ready. Send us. Let's go. Let's do this thing. 
It took about a year and a half until God actually sent us somewhere, which in some respects, that seems really short looking back on it. Life's kind of like that. But in the time, we were waiting. And we were waiting in such a way we were saying like, God, this is a good thing we want to do. What's up? Right? But we were hopeful. We were bummed at times. You know, as I was you know, waiting in, in traffic at a job that I didn't love, saying like, God, what's up? <laughs> you know, I, I'm ready to go. We were waiting on God to act. I know you all out there have all kinds of things you wait on God for. Th think about the things on the top of your prayer list in your life right now. You're waiting for God to work. So when we talk about waiting for the early church tonight, how they were active, they were productive, they were preparing their hearts. I believe God in the same way is speaking to you as you wait on God. We also wait for God's work in our world. It's a mess. It's a disaster in a lot of ways. So we're waiting on God. God, one day, one day we ask that we can experience victory. We have in Jesus on the cross. We celebrated that in communion. I think there are all kinds of small victories that God provides in our world today. But there is a day we know we will be with God forever in heaven. We know there will be a day where there will be new heavens and new earth that are perfect because we're with Jesus and there's no sin involved. So here's my encouragement tonight. As we wait, let's be active. As we wait, let's be productive in our faith, just like the early church was productive in their faith. As we wait, let's be preparing our hearts for anything that might come. And as we wait, let's actively look for ways we can serve God right here, right now. That's what happened in this passage, and that's what we want to look at tonight. And all of this happens while we're waiting. So, the disciples actively were waiting for the Holy Spirit. And I see at least five ways, just right here in this passage, five ways that they waited in a way that their hearts were engaged. They were active. They were doing stuff while they're waiting. So let's look at them tonight. And we're going to think about each of these in our own hearts, in our own lives. The first in verse 12 is they waited with obedience. They obeyed God. Okay. Jesus said, in chapter 1, verse 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the coming Holy Spirit. And in verse 12, what do we see? Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. They obeyed. They went back to Jerusalem, just like Jesus said. Here's the deal. It wasn't the journey that was difficult. It, it says in verse 12, it was a Sabbath day's journey away from Mount Olivet to Jerusalem. But it wasn't that journey that was difficult. A Sabbath day journey, according to, to history and, and common in Jewish law, was about three quarters of a mile. It, it was how long someone could walk before it became, quote, work. Okay? A Sabbath day's journey was under that, and it was three quarters of a mile. So from the Mount of Olivet to Jerusalem was a pretty short walk. 
It's about as far as it takes us from walk to here to Rubio's. If you want to walk it tonight to experience what happened. No, but that, that's about it. Three quarters of a mile. That's not far at all. I, I think even for a slow walker, that's under a half hour. It's not the journey itself that was hard about waiting. Jerusalem was close, but staying in Jerusalem was costly. You have to imagine with Jesus being gone, some of these guys were probably like, I'm not sure if I should stick around. I could go back and just hop right back in the boat and continue on with my fishing business. It'd probably be a lot easier. Maybe even Matthew was thinking, maybe I'll go back to tax collecting. Uh, any of them were probably thinking there's, there's probably an easier way to live life than to live under the threat of death here in Jerusalem. It was costly for them to wait, but they were called to wait for the Holy Spirit. And we have to think of it this way. They were called to wait for the absolute unknown. They had no idea what was coming. I mean, that's great, Jesus, to say, well, wait for the Holy Spirit. What do you mean by that? Just wait. That's what was going on in their hearts. Here's the deal for us, you guys. Obedience to the scripture, obedience to the commands of God is rarely about us not understanding what God is saying. Right? right? In the same way where, where their, their obedience wasn't about this walk back to Jerusalem. Obedience to us, it's rarely about not understanding it's rarely about not knowing between right and wrong. It's rarely a mystery to say like, I'm not sure what you want me to do, God. That's not the issue. The issue is that obedience is costly to us, just like it was to the early church. It's costly to us in some different ways but no doubt it is. Obedience is this, doing what God tells us to do no matter what. No matter what. There's no, there's no excuses. There's no, uh, but, but, but God. And when we think of obedience in that way, it costs us something. It, it might be just simply our time. Right? I, I can do better things with my life than do these church things. Might be time. Might be money. I, I'd prefer to spend my money on me rather than the work of God in the church or missionary activities. It, it's costly financially to obey God and what he calls us to do. It might be costly in that you might lose respect from some of your peers or family that don't get it. That's costly. It might be costly when we think of what, what's going on in our world today. It's going to cost us a lot culturally if we obey God and are all in for him. Some of the saddest stuff I see in our culture today is people turning away from their faith turning away from God because they don't want to look bad in the world's eyes. Most of it coming from the Christian sexual ethic. They don't want to look bad culturally 
and they succumb to the pressure that says, if you're really a loving person, you're not going to obey God in what he says. That's a big deal. It's costly for us to say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. It's costly. Sometimes it's costly just simply because obedience to God is not allowing us to do what I want to do right now, right? I, what, what I want to do to make myself feel good. If God says no, he says no. And that's that. You might think, wow, this is hard. And you're right. You're right. But you know what? That's part of what God's doing in these passages when he gives us the Holy Spirit. What was hard for the early church in those 40 days of waiting, they were on fire to do when the Holy Spirit came upon them. God's going to be with us and God's going to help us in these journeys. And I'm going to say this, all of this obedience that's hard, it's good. Hard things can be good. In fact, some really hard things are the best thing for us in life. And that's Oh, oh, so true in obedience. Obedience is good, it's right, it's true, it's eternal. So as the early church waited, they waited in obedience. Second way is this, they waited in community. They were together, okay? Verses 13 through 16 talks about this, this community, and there's a few words I want to pick out here that give us this great picture of the community. The first is in verse 14. It says, all of these with one accord meaning they were all unified. They, they, were, they were together in it. And the things they were together in, in, in were this. First, in belief in Jesus, they were Christians. And second, they were together in the mission that God gave them in Acts 1.8. They believed in Christ and they were doing the same thing for Christ. It says in verse 15, they were a company of persons, the, the company of persons was in all about 120 Okay, they're in some upper room somewhere, 120 of them. I, I would say on one hand, that might have felt kind of cool. Like this room is packed out, 120 people. This is great. On the other hand, think about it this way. This was it. Like, like if us as the Rock Church, if we just completely messed this whole thing up and, and didn't do a good job of living our mission for Jesus, there's a bunch of other churches that can probably pick up the slack. <laughs> These were the 120, the first ones. There's no one else. And God used this band of 120 misfits to spread Christianity over the whole world. Another word we see in verse 16 is Peter stood up among the brothers. It's the first time we see this word. It, it, it's a very biblical way to designate the church, the body. And I want you to think um, about something that I'm gonna explain it in a second. It's not just about men, okay? Brothers in this sense isn't saying all you men are the church, okay? The emphasis is on family. It's a familial word. The, the idea is we're all children of God and God is our father together. It's the earliest designation of the church family, of members of the church. This people, this group of 120 is an incredibly unique and diverse group of people. We, we see starting in verse 13, we see the 11 disciples, 
okay, minus Judah, or, or Judas, excuse me, the 11 disciples. And then it says, uh, they, they, were, they were one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. Remember, women were very prominent in the Gospels, and they're here in this upper room. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers, who were skeptical just a few months before. Now, they're giving their life for this cause. So we have this group that adds up to 120. And I think what, what I take away from this is it's not just the 11 at this point or the 12. It, it's a bigger group of people. And it's unique because of the diversity of gender, right? If there was a religious group at this point of time, they would have never talked about women. Yet, openly, right here, Luke is writing in Acts, yeah, the women were really important and they were with us. This was a group that was going to break barriers, and they did. Here's the point about waiting in community for us. As we think about this, uh, when we wait, we pray with one another, we wait as a community. We need one another. Human beings were created in a way where we need one another. It's good for us to fellowship together. For one reason, it's simply helpful to get the job done, okay? And that's going to be true in the book of Acts for sure. But in another way, it's the way we're designed. We need one another. God designed us that way. And all throughout the book of Acts, the church is done in community. It's done together. They grow in community. They're supported by their community. And they learn in their community better than they could learn on their own. And the same is true for us today. I, I heard a story, and this is, this is one of those stories where I was like, man, I wish I was that pastor because, you know, some pastors are really good. They're at a barbecue, okay, and, and there's a bunch of people around, and, you know, there's a, the coals going, and the, and the barbecue is going, and, a, and a pa the pastor was talking to a man, and th this man was explaining to the pastor, you know what, this is great what you guys are doing, but I don't, I don't really need to be a part of a church, Right? I can just worship God on my own. You know, I'm, I'm an independent person, and, and I can do that, and I can grow. And the, and the pastor could have said all sorts of things, <laughs> some probably not good, some super biblical and great. He didn't say a whole lot. He listened to the man, and then he, then he walked over to the grill, and he took some, like, tongs or whatever, and he separated one of the coals from the big lump of all the other charcoal, right? And this big lump of charcoal is burning and flames are still coming and it's like that bright, hot, red, you know, on fire. And as soon as he set this other charcoal on the side, it started to cool off. You know what I mean? Have you seen that? Like when the charcoals kind of spill off and, and it's cooling off and the pastor didn't even need to say anything. He just pointed to that charcoal cooling off next to the burning on fire, other charcoals. That's what the church is like. We're designed to be in community. We're designed to burn bright together. Without one another's fire, we cool off. We're isolated. We grow cold. I read that story and I was like, man, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Probably in the times when I feel weak, 
when I feel distant from God, when, when I feel just kind of lukewarm, are the times when I'm not in community. It's so important to be around others who love Jesus. They inspire us. They support us. As a church, when we're doing things together, we're like that, that burning you know, core of charcoal. And we don't want ever to fall off to the side and cool off. So they waited in community in the early church. Thirdly, and we've already talked about this a lot. I'm going to be brief on this. They waited in prayer. We see the early church praying together. We see in verse 14, it just simply said they're devoting themselves to prayer. This was just kind of an overall overarching idea. They prayed about a bunch of different stuff. And we do that on Tuesday nights. I know you guys do that together um, individually and, and with other small groups and in the church. We, we pray about hopefully anything and everything. And I, and I would rather not hear you guys say like, oh, my stuff's just little compared to the, pray for everything. That's what God says. We pray and we pray again and we pray and we pray and we pray. But also the early church prayed for specific things and very specific purposes. In verse 24 and 25, they prayed and then they, they talked about what they're praying for of, of, um, of asking God for a new Apostle, and we're going to talk about that in a middle, in, in a minute. But the big point is prayer is a way of life for the church. That's what they're doing. They're waiting. They were praying. Make no mistake, prayer and Holy Spirit growth go together in our lives. May we never neglect to pray as individuals, and we never neglect to pray as a church. And I, and, and I ask you, I plead with you, that if you ever feel like, you know what, I feel like... I feel like we don't pray as a church like we used to or, or something like that. Would you come to me or come to the board or come to anyone? Because that, that's, some, that's like a serious thing. Like, like it's not so serious if you say, you know, I like the old communion wafers. I, I, you may or may not. But if you say we don't pray anymore, that is a problem. May we continue to pray as the early church prayed. Next. They waited while studying the Bible. They, they studied the word. And remember, this was the early church. They had the Old Testament, but they were seeking God out in, in studying the Bible because they knew there's two really basic things that go together in the Christian life. In prayer, we talk to God. And in Bible study, what happens? God talks to us. It's a beautiful combination and they go together and the early church knew that and they devoted a bunch of time to studying the word, what they knew from the Old Testament. And like prayer, the early church studied in a couple different contexts. One, for overall growth and knowledge and wisdom. Just in a general sense, they studied the word. And in this year-long um, journey through Acts that we're going to be on, we're going to see a bunch of different sermons and people talking to one, or, one another about Jesus. And I want you to pay attention from the word, not, not just from my mouth, but for what Acts says. Pay attention to how often they start out with Bible. They, they, they go to the word and they start from a place and then talk about what God has them 
talk about. It's on the tip of their tongue. I, I think it's on the tip of their tongue because they're studying in the upper room. They're studying on their own. They're studying in community. So then when they're in the marketplace in Athens, they have it and they speak. It's, it's actually a really beautiful picture of how they, they, they have priority of what God's word says. We're also going to see in Acts chapter 6, a, a, a place where the church is struggling with some things of, of how just kind of to work things out. And one of the answers is we want to make sure that the apostles, the leaders of the church, have time to study the word. That's how important it was to them. Even in the face of some pretty big troubles in the church, they needed to know the Bible and study the word. They also studied the Bible for very specific purposes. Here in uh, verse 16, Peter starts out a sermon. He says, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. To address this issue they were addressing, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, he went to the Bible. They, they, they had to replace Judas. And the first thing he did was say, here's what the Bible has to say about it. Then he goes back to these Psalms. And I'm telling you guys, some of this stuff, like, I don't think it was off the top of his head. I know, I know God was, was working in a powerful way through him, but he knew his Bible because he went to some obscure passage, two different Psalms, and said, gosh, this looks a lot like what's going on with us. And in verses 16 through 20, he, he kind of talks about it. And he says this, this whole idea. In, in Psalms, it was these guys that were... Um, rejecting David and they were departing from him. And, and it, it says in the Psalm, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then because of that, he says, let another take his office. And Peter says, wow, this sounds like what we're going through now. Judas is gone. We need someone to take this office. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The point is Bible study led to this action. And the big point for us is may we as a church, may we at The Rock always look what the Bible says. Let the Bible direct us, right? We, we, we want to know what does God tell us? And then we act and we make decisions. We get into trouble in the church when we say, okay, okay, here's what we want to do, guys. And we get together as a board and, you know, we... We kind of make some decisions and says, this, this is what we're going to do. And then maybe it's the pastor, maybe it's someone smarter that says, hey, maybe we should have a Bible verse to go along with this, right? It's kind of the tail wagging the dog. Let's make all our decisions and then figure out a way to support it in the Bible. I'm pleading with us to always let the Bible direct us. And, and I believe that's what the early church did in moments like this. They opened the word let it speak, and then went out and did what God wanted them to do. May we be like that as a church. And then finally, the early church, while they were waiting, they had to do some stuff. They made decisions. They, they, they were up in that upper room, and they, they were like, okay, well, we still need, we, the, we, we haven't, the Holy Spirit hasn't come, but there's some stuff that needs to get done. And I think this points to the fact that while we wait, we're active. We do things. In that year and a half where Lori and I waited for God to send us out, 
We didn't just sit at home and say, okay, we're, you know, we can't wait till God sends us, but we're not doing anything, right? We, we were participating in the local church. We were serving in the ministry. We had this, this crazy little ministry where these um, little surf groms would come over and, you know, raid our cabinets and stuff. Things were happening, right? Things were going on. The early church was making decisions, and the big one was how they were going to replace Judas. And there's, there's kind of this really gory description of Judas's death, and, and you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought Judas hanged himself. What's all this business of him falling on the rocks? And some people say, see, look, that's a Bible discrepancy. But it's actually um, probably a picture of Judas was, was hanging up above kind of this chasm of rocks and at one point either got cut down or fell down and, you know, this, this description is what happened. It both happened, right? It was, it was a both and. It's not that hard to describe. But the main point here is he needed to be replaced. The, the biggest reason in the, in the Jewish mind of what they were going on here is Jesus put together the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he had the 12 disciples to represent those 12 tribes one day in the new heavens and the new earth. So that, that was on their hearts and on their minds. So there's a legitimate reason to say we need to replace that person so there will be 12 to sit in the new heavens and the new earth. It was a very Jewish way of thinking. We might say like, man, 11 were good enough. But they were replacing him for a reason. The key to this is found in verse 25, where um, Jesus talks, or, or the, the, um, the, as they were praying, they said they, were, they needed this person to take the place in this ministry and apostleship. That's a new word. That's a new word in the book of Acts, an apostle. So that's pretty important to what we're talking about here, the difference between the disciples and the apostles, okay? Disciple simply means this, a student or a learner, okay? And in the context of what we're talking about here, we're moving on from the 12 disciples of the gospel to say a disciple is a learner or a student, so in the context of this passage, everybody up in that upper room, all 120 of those people were disciples, okay? It wasn't just the 11. They're all disciples. All of us in this room, we can legitimately say we're disciples of Jesus. We're, of course, not the 11 from the Gospels, but we're students, we're learners, we're disciples, we're followers of Jesus, Here's what an apostle is. And this is such a good and important definition of apostle. An ambassador commissioned by a king or a ruler and given designated authority to speak in his name and with his power. So the context here is now those 11 plus the one are going to become the apostles. It's a unique thing. It's a one-time thing. It's a very specific thing to be an apostle who is commissioned by Jesus, given authority by Jesus to speak in his name, and given the power of Jesus. 
okay? In the book of Acts, we see what's going on, all right? We see that these people are commissioned by Jesus in this way, looking at verses 21 and 22. They're trying to pick him out, so they say, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. That's super instructive. That really narrows down kind of the, the pool of people that could be an apostle. That to be with Jesus from the beginning at his baptism, a witness to the resurrection, and with them until Jesus was taken up, okay? Some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, wasn't Paul an apostle? And, and that's a great question. I think that's a really important question. Um, Paul says of himself, he was one who was untimely born, right? He was, he was born at a different time. Jesus did appear to Paul personally after the resurrection, okay, as, as his resurrected body and commissioned him for his purpose as an apostle. So I would say this, Paul was distinctly an apostle, but not one of the 12. You follow that? that I think that's a, that's a good, important distinction. So we have these people, an apostle needed to be present with Jesus, a witness to the resurrection. So this tells us that this was a one-time deal, right? We're all disciples of Jesus, but, but I think if someone says they're an apostle of Jesus, they're talking about something different than what's going on here. This is specifically for 12 people. And they were given authority to speak for Jesus in his name, which is huge in the ancient world. Remember, we're so spoiled with communication. We know what's going on everywhere instantly. We really do. So, so if someone wants to tell, you know, if, if, if I want to send a message out to the church saying, here's, here's what I, I would like to see happen, we can get that message out to you instantly, right? Not so in the ancient world. They needed this power because Jesus had left and Jesus had given them authority to speak in his name. This is super important and it actually uh, is key to us in leading the apostles to write the New Testament. They were speaking for Jesus. And of course, they were given his power in waiting for the Holy Spirit, okay? So the decision needs to be made and how do they make it? They pray. First of all, it, we, we see that they, they pray in verse 20. Actually, I'm sorry. Before they even pray, they vet these people, what we just read about, right? They, they decide who, who's even qualified to be one of those people. Then they pray. It's kind of a bridge between man and God. And then they leave it up to God. There's always kind of a strange like, passage for us where they cast lots, which is, I mean, for lack of a better term, they just kind of roll some dice and see which side it comes on, right? It seems really weird to us and even kind of like, isn't, isn't that a little, you know, uh, trite? I mean, just something that's just not done. But to them in an Old Testament sense, it was very common to cast lots to make decisions. And here's the deal. A lot went into it before the lot was cast, 
They vetted these guys, they prayed, and then they left it up to God. And it came out to this guy, Matthias, which I loved when Sherry said, I, I kind of had to look that up, right? Because this is the only place we see him. This is it for this cat, Matthias, okay? And some people say, well, maybe they got it wrong. Maybe it should have been Paul, right? So that, that's why we never hear about this guy, Matthias. Here's an interesting fact about the book of Acts. We don't hear from most of the apostles. The only ones we hear from of these 12 are Peter, James, and John. And then later, Paul, who's not one of the 12, but he's an apostle. The rest of them, Matthias and the other eight, we never hear from again. That's it. God chooses to focus on these three. So be careful if you say, well, Matthias wasn't even important. He probably shouldn't have been an apostle. Because you're going to have to say that about eight other apostles also. Just also in this, when it talks about Mary, the mother of Jesus in verse 14, guess what? That's the last time we ever hear from Mary. Doesn't mean she wasn't important. It's just... We don't hear from her again. And we know from history, and this is beautiful, this guy, Matthias, we never see him in the book of Acts or the rest of the New Testament, but history tells us he was the primary missionary in Ethiopia. He was serving as Jesus' ambassador, as emissary, his apostle in Africa. I love it. It's beautiful. It's, of course, um, close to me and important to me, but it's important for us to know just because we don't see people in the, in the book of Acts at work for God doesn't mean he's not using them elsewhere, okay? In conclusion, we're going we're gonna to end. This is how the church waited. They waited doing stuff. They were active in their, um, in, in their waiting. They were productive. They were preparing their hearts. They were making decisions. They were praying, studying the word. They're obedient, all, all these great things. So for us, I know you're all waiting for something. You, you thought about it earlier. My prayer is this. With all your heart while you wait, live for Jesus. Be obedient to who God has made you to be, a Christian, a child of God. Work, act, pray, worship, love. Be the church. This is what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that, uh, that you show us things through this group of people. We're, we're, we're thankful that even though this happened so many years ago, it instructs us. So I, I pray, God, use your Holy Spirit in our lives. May we glorify you, magnify you in who we are, in our, in our, in our burning on fire community. We love you, God. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.